a Bible this morning to follow along with us in our study, just raise your hand and Pastor Jim will see your hand raised and he'll pass you a Bible. As we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll begin reading at verse 13. We're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in 2 Corinthians. So in the New Testament, if you'll turn to chapter 11 again, we'll start reading at verse 13 this morning. So a wonderful study as we've been going through 2 Corinthians verse-by-verse. We'll continue to do so this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start reading at verse 13. It's been a wonderful study. We've still got a few more chapters to go, a few more weeks to go before we finish this epistle. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start reading at verse 13. That's where we left off last week. Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, very important instructions and word given to us this morning concerning the the congregation that was facing those who were false and holding them in bondage. And Lord, you haven't called us to bondage, but to peace. And Lord, to experience the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that we are to be subject to you. And Lord, I pray that uh, this morning that we would become more wise and discerning and Lord, how we can know to make sure that, that we and our families are, are just holding on to that which is true and, and that which is, uh, comes from you. And Lord, I do pray that you would just help us to be uh, attentive to what it is you want to show us. I, I pray this morning that as we've come in that we've remembered to turn off our cell phones or at least reach over and put them on silent and because we want to hear from you. We don't want to be distracted in those kinds of ways. And which to world today, there's so many noises around us. And we want to just hear you. And we want to be right now attentive to you and the things that you have to say to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Paul, when he was writing to this congregation here in Corinth, we see that in this book called Second Corinthians, he was being very honest with them, but he was being bold and he was being straightforward with the Christians there. And he's bringing correction to them in the areas that they were missing it, that they weren't doing well uh, in, that is concerning their relationship with Christ and with each other. And, and we see that as Paul is doing this and writing these things to this congregation, in this section of Second Corinthians, what he is doing is that he's defending his apostleship and his authority. Because there were those that were coming in behind Paul's ministry to the Corinthian believers, and they were undermining Paul's ministry, and uh, they would come in criticizing Paul. Uh, We've seen that quite clearly over the last couple of Sundays in our study. And even though Paul is, is... is defending his ministry and the validity of his ministry, he's being quite bold here. He's still showing that he has the heart of a father towards them. He said to them, as you recall, that I'm the one that begot you in the faith. You have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers, that is spiritual fathers. And you recall that last week that we saw in chapter 11, verse 2, that he would write to them, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And we talked quite extensively about that last week. What Paul is referring to 
And that is just as a father, a Jewish father, had the responsibility to make sure that his daughter remained pure until her marriage. And Paul was saying, as a father to you, I want to make sure that you retain your purity. And not just physical purity, but spiritual purity. And, and Paul, if he was here today, he would say the same thing. Because you see, this letter was written not only to them 2,000 years ago, but this is the inspired word of God. And this letter is written for us here at Calvary Chapel. And so we want to make sure that we are reminded that it is God's desire that we walk in purity. Yes, physical purity, to, to walk in holiness but also in spiritual purity as well. We're not to be seduced by those who come into the congregation or come along and pull us away from the things of the Lord. That's what was happening here to the church at Corinth. There are those who are exalting themselves, those who are coming in, putting Paul's ministry down. There are those who are being abusive and ruling over the people, and they were bringing a false Jesus to them. And so Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ because you are the bride of Christ. And you can really sense Paul's heart towards them. And as the apostle continues writing, he begins to warn about those, again, who would come into this church at Corinth and begin to put burdens on them. Uh, he says that these guys that are claiming to be most eminent apostles, it's another uh, wording for those claiming to be super spiritual apostles. And Paul says, I didn't do that when I came to you. When I first came to you, I came in fear and much trembling, you recall in 1 Corinthians. And I didn't come seeking money or anything else from you. I came to serve you and to bring you into the truth of the gospel that I brought freely to you. And that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he's reminding them, and we're reminded, we need to be careful because there are those that come in and they do preach another Jesus whom has not been preached, that is not according to the word of God. And that's what was happening 2,000 years ago to this congregation that was at Corinth. They were coming in, these most eminent apostles, and they were preaching another Jesus whom... Paul says, we have not preached. You've received a different spirit. You've received a different gospel, which is not the gospel, and you're putting up with it. You're receiving these individuals. And so Paul begins to talk about these individuals, who they really are, as we pick up our text at verse 13. He says, says concerning them, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So Paul here becomes very direct. He, he says that those who are coming into the church and preaching another Jesus and burdening you as they're coming in and they're charging the people for their speaking and what they had to say. They were ripping off the people. They were corrupting them. And Paul here says very honestly and very boldly, these guys are false apostles and they are deceitful workers and they are attempting to make themselves out to be apostles of Christ when they are not. They are actually servants of Satan. They are ones that serve him. 
Now, it's interesting that in the scriptures, and you can see it throughout the scriptures, we are told over and over and over again to beware of those who are false and deceitful, false apostles and false prophets and false teachers. We know as we turn to the Old Testament that the children of Israel, before they went into the promised land, that the Lord told them, do not go in and, and have anything to do with those Canaanite gods. They are false. Don't uh, worship those false gods. Don't believe them. Don't have anything to do with them because they're going to be a sword to your eyes and a thorn to your side. And you'll end up in bondage to them. And we know that when they went into the promised land and under the leadership of Joshua, that they went in with great faith and had great victory. But soon after Joshua's death, they would turn to those Canaanite gods. They began to compromise. And that was the days of the judges that lasted for 400 years that they found themselves worshiping those false gods and did find themselves in bondage oftentimes. We know that throughout their histories, you read the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel, the the nation of Israel would, would turn to false gods and, and false worship right after Solomon. We're going to see very clearly on Wednesday nights. We see the nation at, in 1 Kings chapter 6 as Solomon's building the temple and then he's going to dedicate the temple. It was a glorious time in their history, but shortly after the death of Solomon, the nation would split and the house of Israel would, would worship those false gods until they were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians and Judah would do the same thing in, in their history, and they would end up in captivity to Babylon. And in the New Testament, as you turn there, we see that not only did Paul warn about those who would deceive and those who are false, but the other apostles as well, such as John and Peter. It would be James, the half-brother of Jesus. He would warn against false teachers and false apostles and prophets as well. We know that John the Apostle would write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe believe every spirit, but test the spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets, and it's interesting that he writes many, not a few, but many false prophets have gone out into the world. Peter would write in his second epistle that there are those who are false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And even Jesus himself, we know, warned us that in the last days, and I believe that we are in the last days, that false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So we are warned repeatedly throughout God's word that there are those who are false, those who are deceptive, and those who bring destruction. And certainly we see that it is true for our day. And we need to be wise, and we need to take heed, as the scripture says. Paul goes on to say, and don't marvel that those who bring this deception, because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now this is important. As Christians, we are not to be fooled. Realize this, that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Not that he is light. You see, God is light. But he will appear at times, Satan will, to be light, to, to, to be attractive and, and of good appearance. And that's why Paul has been warning the Corinthian congregation. Hey, it's foolish to just rely on someone's appearance outwardly. Their oratorical skills. You see, just as we 
have been talking to Paul about how Paul's addressing them, telling them that you don't judge just on the physical appearance. He would write in chapter 10, verse 7, you recall, don't look at the things according to the outward appearance. It's not wise. He said that they were coming along as he addressed that Paul has no authority because physically Paul is, is base, he's weak, and his speech is contemptible. And so Paul is saying to them, don't be foolish. You receive these guys who are false apostles that are corrupting you because of their physical appearance, because of their skill, and because of their finesse when they speak. But you're not judging them on what they say and what they do. And so it is very easy for us today, especially in our society, to, to not be wise, to not be careful, because we can be taken in so easily by image and by appearances. That's what we look at. We, we like prestige. We like the image. We like the appearances. People think that anything that is evil or of Satan, surely it's going to be ugly and it's going to be dark and it's going to be disgusting, which ultimately it will be. But know this, Christians, that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Isn't it strange that there is a beautiful side of evil, a beautiful side of deception? And we can look at it and we can say, well, that's so wonderful. That's so powerful. That looks so good. I mean, how can you call the Mormons a cult? Look at their commercials. Look how family-oriented they are. Look at their beautiful temples and the choir. They sound so heavenly. And when I watch them on Christmas Eve, they, they sound so beautiful, and they do. But don't be taken in by image. Don't be just be taken in by appearance. And as we look at the scriptures, we see generally that Satan has three forms under which he tempts men. We talked about one last week, that he's the subtle serpent that will come and deceive us. Hey, Eve, did God really say that? And he'll twist the scriptures, and he'll misquote the scriptures, and, and he'll, he'll be the accuser of the brethren, and he comes along and he tries to deceive you in that way as the subtle serpent. But we also know that he is a roaring lion, as Peter writes in his epistle, that seeking whom he may devour you. See, if you go into his territory, he's looking to pounce on you and to rip your head off. That's another way that Satan can get a foothold in your life. But thirdly, here we're told in our text this morning that he's an angel of light. And you see, you can look at something and you can say, well, it looks so enlightening. It's so attractive. It's so beautiful. It has to be true. And we know that in the last days, as we've studied the book of Revelation, that there is going to be one that will come on the scene. He will seem like light. He's going to be a great peacemaker. He's going to be one that the world's going to hail as a great orator. The world's going to listen to what he has to say and say that he speaks great things, but as you look at it, the scriptures tells us that what it's going to be truly is he's going to speak blasphemous things towards the true God. People are going to turn to him, and people will worship him, but he's going to ultimately bring destruction upon the whole world. He's called the Antichrist. He will be an angel of light, if you would, and how we need discernment, and just as Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, it's no great thing that his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. Hey, they seem so righteous, but they're bringing another gospel. They're bringing another spirit. 
They're bringing another Jesus. And they've gotten away from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the question for us this morning, as we are told in John's epistle, how is it that we test the spirits to see if they are of God or not? How do we know if they are of Satan, appearing to be ministers of righteousness? Do we test it by miracles? No, we don't. Because as I just read and, and told you that Jesus said in the last days, that there will be those that will come along working signs and wonders. We know that Paul the Apostle in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that this one, the Antichrist in the last days, will deceive many by lying signs and wonders. So we can't just judge it by miracles because Satan can work miracles. He's going to in the last days through the Antichrist. He does today and we also know that he did in the past. Look at the book of Exodus. You recall when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, thus says the Lord, and he threw down his staff and it became a snake. What did Pharaoh's magicians do? They threw down their staffs and they turned to snakes. The Pharaoh's magicians were able to turn water into blood. They were able to call up frogs from the land. So Satan can work miracles and we can't just judge things if miracles are happening. Do we test the spirits by appearance? No, we can't just test it by appearance. Satan is an angel of light. Do we do it by how we feel? Because there are those who will come along and say, just get in touch with your feelings. And even the Mormons, they will tell you, those of you who have talked to any Mormon missionaries, they will say, read the Book of Mormon. And after you read it, pray about it. And if you get a burning in your bosom, then you know that it's true. Well, the thing is, I can get a burning in my bosom from eating too much chips and salsa. So you just can't take that and say that is how you know if it's true or not. We all have feelings, but feelings can be deceiving is what I'm saying. So how is that we test the spirits to see if they are of God? We do it by holding it up to the light of the truth of God's word. That is the way that we do it. And we know that as we study God's word, and that's why we place such an importance in the study of God's word here at Calvary Chapel, from Genesis to Revelation, because as you do, you're going to know the truth. You're going to know the truth of the gospel. You're going to know the truth of God's word. And when that which is false comes blowing into town or comes knocking on your door or you know, starts to get a lot of notice, you can look at it and you can filter it through the truth in the light of what God's word declares and you can determine whether it's true or not. You see, oftentimes we'll, we have great re resources which is good and useful and I would encourage you to use that when it comes to answering the Mormon or Jehovah Witness or Eastern mysticism or religions and, and we want to equip you in that way certainly but I also want to remind you as well is there's so much deception that is out there today so many voices that are out there today that it would do all of us well and keep us safe to really know the real thing just as a bank teller or those who are cashiers handle money they will train them and teaching them what a real $20 bill looks like don't they and so there are certain markings that are on that $20 bill that can't be duplicated. And so that's what the bank teller is trained. So when the false one comes along, they'll be able to look at it and spot it and say, well, that's not a real $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill. And a way for us to know that which is counterfeit is know the real deal, know the real Jesus, who Jesus is as he's proclaimed in the truth of God's word, to know God's truth. So when the false comes along, that you're not deceived by it. And if anything comes along 
and it does not line up with the Word of God, if it contradicts the Word of God, then you know that it has to be a counterfeit. It's false. I don't care how attractive it might look. I don't care how many people are getting caught up in it. Or if there's manifestations or you know, appearances of miracles that are happening. But you better listen, and I better listen, to what is being said. And Paul says that those deceitful workers, those false apostles, will be judged according to their works. Interesting, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, will, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them that I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." We continue to read in verse 16 that I say again, let no one think me a fool if otherwise at least receive me as a fool that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in his confidence of boasting. So Paul was reluctant to have to defend himself against the criticism of those in Corinth who were coming against him. He, he felt compelled, though, to protect the flock by establishing his authority. He really rather be talking about Jesus, though, but his message is being hindered by those who are coming into Corinth and dismissing Paul's ministry and the message that he had. He continues seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Hey, you guys like to boast about fleshly appearance, the appearance of others, their, their skill speaking, and, and Paul will talk about himself, that is his ministry, even though he does so reluctantly in verse 19, for you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. So you can sense Paul being sarcastic. If you guys in Corinth put up with so many fools, surely you can listen to me for a while since you guys are so wise. In verse 20, for you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in on the face. In verse 21, to our shame I say that we were too weak for that, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So Paul, as he is talking about those false apostles, they were coming on the scene, they were boasting in their appearance and in their speech, they were charging people for what they had to say, and, and they were coming against Paul. And apparently these false apostles that were trying to convince the people that they were most eminent, that they are to be exalted, that they're super duper apostles. And actually what they were doing, as Paul's writing here in the text that we just read, that they were actually bringing the people into bondage. They were very legalistic, we're gonna see as the indication, putting people under the bondage of the law putting their legalistic rules and regulations on people and traditions. They were even coming along and striking people in the face. It was the general patent mentality, very authoritative. And that's why Paul has said pre previously that we're not here to have dominion over you, but to be helpers of your joy. You see, there are those that are in ministry that think that it's real, real spiritual if you really let the people have it. Hey, I'm going to really let the people have it when I preach today. And oftentimes, the sheep will accept it. Yeah, I deserve it because I don't pray like I should pray. 
And I don't read my Bible like I should read my Bible, and I, and I do blow it. And so the more that I get beat up, the better, and, and the more spiritual. It finally dawned on me after a while, beginning to teach the Word of God, that the Lord had commanded me, that Jeff, you were to feed my sheep. I'm not going to back away from what the Scripture has to say. I'm going to give you the whole counsel of God's Word and the truth of what it has to say. And that means rebuke. And that means correction. And that means that I'm going to give you the instructions and the commandments of what God's Word has to say. And I'm not going to apologize for it. But I am to feed the sheep. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. He didn't say, beat my sheep. And here in the case of the Corinthians, they were so impressed with the image and with authority and with power, with these so-called super apostles, that they submitted to just about any abusive treatment dished out to them. And these guys were saying, hey, we're going to have to punch you out because you're not doing what we told you to do. And so the people were in bondage. And they thought somehow that was spiritual. In verse 20, I, I see that Paul gives us some very practical things to look for in recognizing if someone is claiming to be spiritual, but it's really not spiritual at all. We see that Paul tells us that the description here of those that were these false apostles. First of all, they will bring you into bondage, he writes. And if they enslave you, he says, they do it with their religious rules and regulations. Do what I tell you to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you stop going to my church, you're not saved. If you dress in a certain way, you'll be lost forever. And you'll just be in bondage to that. I've had people that have come here and, and they've told me that they, they came here because they felt like the Lord was leading them here to Calvary Chapel. And then as they left the church, that the church leadership called them up and said that if you leave our church, that you're not going to be saved anymore. You could lose your salvation. Talk about bondage. You see, Calvary Chapel can't save anyone, certainly can't unsave you. It is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that brings salvation. So there are those that wanting to hold on to their people, it happens at times, and I've heard it happen at times, that they'll say, well, you can't leave. We're the church. We're, we're the real church. You're at risk of losing your salvation. And so just putting people in bondage in all of this. People, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It was for freedom that Christ sets us free, therefore keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Secondly, Paul writes, if he devours you, false teachers will attempt to devour you. And what is meant by that is they will try to take away your individuality in Christ. Hey, you all have to dress the same. You have to look the same. You have to act the same. You have to talk the same. Certainly, there are guidelines given to us in Scripture about we dress modestly and we speak words of edification, not corrupt words and things like that. Yes, we know that. But usually, when someone comes along and starts putting all these burdens on you, look this way and dress this way and act this way and talk the same, usually what they're saying is that you need to be like me. And you need to think like me. And you need to dress like me. Thirdly, he says, if one takes from you, the implication is they take advantage of you. The false teachers here will take an advantage of the people mentally and financially. A true minister of God will serve you, not take advantage of you. Fourthly, if one exalts himself. 
You see, a true minister will exalt Jesus Christ, not himself. One that exalts themselves is one that is trying to build up their own kingdom, not the kingdom of God. And then finally, fifthly, if one strikes you in the face, you know, if a minister starts to punch you out, it's probably wise that you get out of there and then you call law enforcement. And we kind of chuckle at that when we read that. We think, was that really going on? But we know that there are cults today that are there, and we can look at example after example, and that there are those that have such a, a bondage on people and such a rule and dominion over people that they will begin to abuse them mentally and hold them in bondage and then lead them even into death. They're being burnt up or drinking poison or whatever it might be. And so these kinds of things can happen and people get sucked into it. There are cult leaders today that do physical, mental abuse to their followers. So Paul gives us some characteristics to look for that will show up in a false teacher and a false apostle. And now Paul begins to talk about his own life as a minister of the gospel and help the Corinthians see that the ones that they are receiving as super apostles aren't servants of Jesus Christ, they're deceivers. He goes on as he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. So Paul here giving us clear indication. When he writes in this, and talking about are they Hebrews? Are they Israelites? Are they of the seed of Abraham? It's clear indication that there were those who were trying to get the Corinthians to live under the law. Perhaps to try to get them uh, to, to, to think that there has to be a necessity of circumcision for salvation. And Paul, who was a champion of grace, was criticized because he taught and spoke about God's grace and our freedom in Christ. It was the legalistic religious leaders that came against Jesus because he didn't keep all of their rituals and rules, their traditional washings and cleansings, and it upset the Pharisees. And they said of Jesus, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. Look who he eats with. Listen to how he teaches with these little parables. And there are those in Corinth that were being told, hey, Paul, he teaches with simplicity. It's so simple. And the people were buying into it because they wanted to hear something fantastic and eloquent and philosophical and all of this. And then they were putting people under legalism. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm of the seed of Abraham. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. These guys claim to be ministers of Christ. They use, that is, those who were claiming to, to be these most eminent apostles. They like to use that term, minister of Christ, because it sounded like an honored and privileged title. There were many today that, that they will use the term minister of Christ, kind of to boast themselves, to look so spiritual, to get people to think that they are spiritual without really knowing what it means to be a minister. Minister means to be a servant. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. He was giving devotions to, to the kids, to the high school kids that were coming in early and helping us all last week. And I, and I was telling them that Jesus said that receive one of these children, you're going to be great in the kingdom of God and just serve these kids and you're going to be rewarded for giving a cup of water to one of these children. That's what it means to be a minister. So these guys claiming to be ministers, they had it all wrong. And so Paul, he begins to talk about his ministry, absolutely amazing. Verse 23, he says, in my ministry, and being a minister means in labors more abundant. I labored and worked hard. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he would say, I labor more abundantly than them all. And then he says, in stripes above um, measure, Paul was beaten many times for Jesus' sake, in prisons more frequently. We know from the book of Acts that Paul did spend a, a lot of time in prison. Paul probably did more ministry in prison than most of us will ever do out of prison. He says, in death often. He faced death many times in his ministry. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So he was whipped by the Jews five times. Now, oftentimes, 39 lashes would kill a man. Paul went through it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. He was once, I was stoned. That happened in Lystra. He was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Now, keep in mind, this is what intrigues me. We know that there are certain events where Paul was about ready to get flogged in Acts chapter 22. And in Acts chapter 22, we know that he was going to get whipped and he was a Roman citizen. He, he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, and they backed off because they couldn't whip anyone unless they were a Roman citizen. But Paul here, it's interesting that he's writing this all before those events happened, before he was shipwrecked at the end of the book of Acts. He went through so many things. Some of it is recorded in the New Testament, but as we look at this, a lot of things that he went through was not recorded, and we wouldn't have known about it except for this portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. I mean, look, Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. He, he was beaten with rods. We know that that happened before he wrote this at least once in Philippi, where he, him and Silas were beaten by rods, by the Philippians, and then thrown into prison. But Paul went through so much more. Three times he was shipwrecked, and a night and a day floating around the Mediterranean Sea? This absolutely amazes me what he went through. And then he continues in verse 26, and journeys often in pearls of waters and pearls of robbers and pearls of my countrymen and pearls of the Gentiles and pearls in the cities and pearls in the wilderness, in the sea and, and among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. And verse 28, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily? When I look at this list and ponder what Paul went through, it absolutely blows me away. And I'm sure it does with you as well. And I think, you know, I've had a few rough days in the ministry. But nothing, nothing compared to Paul and what he went through. And he went through some very serious and difficult tribulation and persecution. But in the last thing that he says, that beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, and then he says, my deep concern for all the churches. And what he is saying in that, as you, you look at this in the original language, he is saying that, that all those things that I went through, the beatings, the flogging, being stoned and left for dead and shipwrecked and beaten and all that, that's beside the point. Yes, I get beaten all the time, robbed, rocks thrown at me. They're out to kill me. I'm hungry a lot. I have little sleep. I'm cold at night. I'm in jail wherever I go. That's beside the point. And it's like he's saying, I'm, what I'm really concerned for is the Christians, is the churches. That's what I'm really concerned about. It's the saints. You see, that is not the heart of a great motivational speaker. That's not the heart of a celebrity pastor. But that's the heart of a true minister. 
And it's the heart of one who sees himself as a spiritual father. And it is Father's Day today, and, and dads, you, you know that you can relate to this a bit. As tough as things can be externally, financially, even physically, it is nothing in comparison to what you feel for your son and for your daughter. Because as dads, we want them to do well, don't we? You see, I can look at all four of my kids, and my desire for them is to do well. And that doesn't mean just do well in school. That doesn't mean just doing well in whatever it is that they choose as an occupation in life. And not just doing well in playing sports or, or playing piano. But more than anything, I want them to grow up being healthy spiritually, walking strong in the Lord, excited about serving the Lord, and to be successful in the things of the Lord. That is where my concern really is and the priority. And every one of you as a dad and as a mom, as grandparents, we can understand that. And that is why Paul is saying here, as he's relating to this heart of a father, he is saying all these things that I've been through, as heavy as they are, as difficult as they are, and as painful as it is, that's beside the point. It's not my greatest concern, but it is what I feel in my heart for you people. He cared and he had a love and concern for all the churches. Now here's the thing that comes to mind as I think about this, I look at this and I think, all that Paul went through, I mean, what made Paul continue? How was he able to, to continue in ministry? No wavering, no complaining. I mean, would you take 39 lashes from a scourge for the person sitting next to you? And I don't just mean perhaps your spouse. What about that person across the room? What about that Christian sitting in another church? You see, as I look at this as a pastor, as a minister, I, I, I look at it and it greatly convicts me and it impacts me. I think, would I really continue on? I mean, would I be one that would be willing to go through what he went through? I mean, if you, if I, if we were stoned and left for dead, would we get up like Paul and just continue to preach the gospel, waiting for the next beating to happen? Or robbery or whatever? So that's why I say when I, I read this, I wonder what makes this man continue. And as we look at his life, as we read his epistles, as we see his ministry, I think there are some primary characteristics that Paul, that he had in his life that made him the kind of man that he was, and that is take a licking and keep on ticking. And we've talked about some of these things, but hopefully it will help you and me. Because some way, in some measure, you and I will go through hard days and difficult times. You see, Paul, I think that the first thing that kept him going is he knew the reality of heaven. For you who like to jot down notes, he knew the reality of heaven, first of all. Paul is going to get that uh, get into it more as we get into chapter 12. Paul went up into heaven. He was there. He knew it was real. Heaven wasn't just something that he talked about in his theology, in his ministry. He knew that heaven was real and that life is short. And what matters is where a person is going to spend eternity, the reality of heaven. Every single person is going to enter into eternity. The question is, is where are you going to spend eternity? 
And we're going to see in our study next time that Paul says, I went into paradise and I heard inexpressible words which was not lawful for me to utter. In other words, it was so awesome, it was so incredible. What I saw and what I heard, it's unlawful for me to say. And, and I know of the reality of heaven and the concern that he had and what we should have is that we want to get as many people there as the Lord allows and gives us time and opportunity to share with others about the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord has made heaven and it's real and it should be real in our hearts. And we know that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that Paul says when we get to heaven, we're going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And what a glorious day that is going to be when we receive rewards and we receive crowns for what we have done for the Lord in this life. Being rewarded. Receiving as we run the race to win the prize. For what we have done for Christ, that's what's going to last. And it's going to happen because all of us will stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, not to be judged for our sin. Jesus took that judgment upon the cross, but to receive those rewards. That was one of the things that we were teaching the kids, running the race with endurance. And on the last day, I had the kids, you know, hop around the sanctuary and do a little race. And then they got a little medal and, and just talking about that how glorious day that's going to be. It's real. And if we really believe what God's word has to say, it should impact us greatly, saying, Lord, I want to run my race. I want to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to look unto him and be a good steward of what you've given to me and opportunities you've given to me because heaven is real and I know that hell is real. And there are going to be those that are eternally lost who do not believe. So I want to be a witness to them. I want to witness with the words and the truth of the gospel to them. Give them the good news of the cross. And if they react in a way that they want to stone me, that's okay. Because the real issue is that heaven is real. You remember that Paul would write in chapter 4, for our light affliction, and I find it intriguing that he calls it a light affliction. Being stoned and left for dead doesn't sound light to me. But he says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. Things in this life are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, they can throw rocks at me and beat me and throw me in prison, but I know the reality of heaven. So those things don't bother me. They're light affliction. Secondly, as I consider this man Paul, I see that he also knew the power of the gospel. We know that he wrote in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile. I'm not ashamed. I will go anywhere and take every opportunity to share because I am convinced that it is the power of God unto salvation. And he would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And you see that word salvation, not only just speaking about eternity in heaven, certainly as we're forgiven and we have the hope of heaven. Salvation is a free gift given to us, but also that in this life presently we can be bless and enrich we have wisdom and strength and comfort because the lord lives in our hearts and he's going to see us through and whatever it is that we're going through there is power in the gospel when people believe it is not christianity just giving people nice philosophical sayings to follow or theology so we can spend 
hours dialoguing, and there's nothing wrong with talking and discussing theology, but we can say that I know that the gospel is real and it is the power of God into salvation. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for you, for me. He rose again. He's alive. And now we who are spiritually dead, we are made alive as we surrender our hearts to him. And as Paul would write, for we are new creations in Christ now. And the Lord is here now for you, and he will see you through. And being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And the longer that I walk with the Lord and the more years that I log in service to the Lord, a real key for me is being a, a man of faith, is just knowing that he is real and he is faithful and there's power in the gospel. They change a person's life. They change a person's life. People need Jesus. People need to surrender their hearts to Jesus and come to salvation for any hope of heaven because heaven is real and real change in their lives and becoming a new creation in Christ. And we have the privilege to bring that message of the gospel, the good news. That's why it's called good news to others. And then thirdly, lastly, and quickly, I think what Paul he kept going, even though he went through all the persecutions and trials, as you recall that he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love that he has for me, and he loved me so much. And Paul was always amazed, as you read his epistles, that the Lord saved him. He said, I was a waster of the church. I'm the chief, chiefest of sinners. And that's why Paul marveled at the grace of God because of his love for you. Please, don't ever doubt the love of Christ. I told the kids at the last day of VBS, I said, one thing, one thing I want you to never, never, never forget. And that is Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And I hope that we never forget that Jesus loves us and he loved us so much that he went to that place of execution. And just as Paul had concern for the churches, God had concern for you and for me. And he knew that the only hope of salvation for us and forgiveness of sin was to freely send his son to die on the cross for us because we can't save ourselves. And Jesus did come 2,000 years ago and went to the cross for us and died for our sins and he rose again and he conquered sin and death. And as we freely give our hearts to him, then that's the gospel that we receive, eternal life, right relationship with the Father, our sins being washed away, and as he comes and lives in our hearts, a new creation in Christ, and living a blessed life. You know, we are blessed in this room, aren't we? And I pray that that's a message that we would give to others. And others are going to come down on you, and they're going to come against you. But you keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Father, we thank you for this time. And we thank you that Paul is such a wonderful example of a minister, a servant of Christ, and so, Lord, this morning as we come and as we just marvel at, at how Paul continued in ministry, we know that the same power in Paul, the power of the Holy Spirit, is in us, enabling us to live a life for you, Lord. And, Father, I pray that we would be wise and discerning again in the days in which we're living in. Because there are those who are false and those who pass on spirituality or whatever it might be, that really truly desire to just hold people in bondage or take people away from the true gospel and the true Jesus. 
Father, I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here in this sanctuary or in the coffee shop hearing this message, that you've never responded to the gospel or the true Jesus, that know this, that you can't earn your way to heaven. That all of our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. That the wages of sin is death and we've all sinned. But Jesus came and died on the cross and died for all of your sins. All of your sins were placed upon him and he became the sacrifice and the substitute for you. And he cried out from the cross, it is finished. In other words, I've done the work, I've paid the price, and now you come freely and receive Jesus into your heart. And he'll forgive you of your sins. You believe that, that he rose from the grave, he's alive, knocking on the door of your heart right now. Let him in. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. You can't save yourself, no one else can save you. A church can't save you. It is you surrendering your heart. The scripture says repent. That simply says turn directions, turn to Jesus. Become that new creation in Christ. He loves you so much. That's why he went to the cross for you. He loves you. Open your heart to him. If that means anything to anyone today, we want to give you opportunity, just as we do at every service, to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. You pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I confess I am a sinner. And I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me, was buried, and you rose again. And that you're alive. I surrender my heart to you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if anyone prayed that prayer this morning, even if you're out in a coffee shop, I just want you to raise your hand so we can pray for you and minister to you and make sure you have a Bible and follow up with you. Anybody at all want to acknowledge that you've come to Christ for the first time at this service? Anybody at all? If you're out in a coffee shop, we've got an elder out there. We want to be able to help you and encourage you. And Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. Father, we thank you for this time and help us to be wise in the day in which we're living in. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the inner man, the inner woman, to just, Lord, have a love for people. And Father, again, I just pray for the ministry of fathers that are here, that you would help us, that more than anything, we would have concern for our children, our grandchildren, to just grow in the things of God, the Lord put the spiritual priority first. And Lord, be the leaders that you've called us to be, loving our children, telling them of the goodness and the truth of the Lord. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?